Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Good evening. Uh, it would be great help to have that passage open as we uh, go through tonight. Uh, well, we're about a week away from... Uh, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, next Sunday, uh, some mats together, we'll be celebrating uh, that. Uh, the Reformation was this rediscovery of the gospel in Europe, kick-started by Martin Luther. And one of the ways that Luther described the gospel was as an alien word. An alien word. Uh, that is, it came from outside him. It wasn't something that he made up. He didn't come up with it. It was an alien word from God about righteousness in Christ. And in tonight's passage, we get the same kind of feeling, the same sense, this alien word, teaching from Jesus that's different uh, to anything else that the disciples would make up, anything that our culture would tell us. It was alien to their culture, alien to our culture as well. And so as we think about this alien word, it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge our thinking. Uh, This strange uh, but true teaching about the nature of marriage and the values of the kingdom. Not a message that our culture would send. So, let's have a look at it. Uh, First we need to see where Jesus is travelling in this story. So verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Uh, Galilee's in the north, Judea's in the south, and this teaching is set in the context of Jesus travelling to Jerusalem. The shadow of the cross hangs over everything here. Jesus has already told his disciples that they have to take up their cross and follow him, to live radical lives in obedience to Jesus. Radical lives for him and for the gospel. 
And so you have to understand this teaching in that context of giving up your life as a disciple of Christ, the way to the cross. And it comes up because the Pharisees, the Pharisees, uh, they hit on this controversial topic uh, to try and test Jesus. Uh, You see it there, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, it's a hot topic uh, because there were these two schools of thought in Judaism. Uh, Both of them took a a different view about what the law said about divorce. Uh, One side said you could only divorce in the case of adultery. The other uh, said you could divorce for any and every reason. Uh, Literally, burnt toast. That was enough. Uh, You could divorce your wife. Uh, So it was kind of a trap. Which side would he go for? Uh, But Jesus doesn't fall for it. Uh, They're kind of squabbling over the law, but he takes them back further, uh, beyond the legalities of divorce to something deeper. Have a read, uh, verse 4. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one separate. See, see what Jesus does? He takes them back to the most foundational thing that you can say about marriage. Go back before the law. Haven't you read what the Creator said? Now, to go back there actually helps us enormously. It sorts out a couple of issues uh, for us. Uh, firstly, in the modern world, it sorts out the issue of same-sex marriage. Uh, as we've been going through this public debate, uh, sometimes I've heard people say, oh, well, uh, Jesus didn't say anything about same-sex marriage. Uh, but really, that's not true. Uh, here, he's asked a question about marriage, and to answer it, he goes back to the most fundamental thing you can say about marriage. And what does he say? That at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Male and femaleness is essential to the nature of marriage according to Jesus. Uh, So Christians, taking Jesus' word, can't celebrate same-sex marriage as a good and holy thing when Jesus uh, teaches that the very core of marriage is a one-flesh union between a male and a female. So there's clarity on that issue. Uh, Secondly, by going back to creation, to to the foundation, Jesus sorts out this issue of divorce. Uh, God's purpose is to create a one-flesh bond. That's his purpose in marriage. To understand the nature of marriage is to understand that. And so Pharisees, he directs to them, Pharisees, what are you doing? Asking about the legalities of divorce. Don't focus there. Uh, It's like uh, learning to fly by practicing crash landings or training for battle by practicing your retreats. I mean, yes, technically that's part of it, but that's not what you're aiming for. Look at what you're going for. This whole debate about whether you can divorce or not and what's the reason, they're, they're missing the point. 
The goal, God's intention is a lifelong one flesh bond that no one should separate. So uh, Christians can't celebrate uh, divorce when Jesus teaches that the very core of marriage is a one flesh union. So the Pharisees here are are stung, aren't they? They come back at Jesus. Uh, Verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? If it's all about this lifelong bond, then why is divorce even in the law? Uh, At least they've understood the question. Uh, It feels like Jesus is ignoring uh, the law here, what Moses has said and what God has given them. But Jesus' answer here is spectacular. I think if we understand uh, Jesus' heart here, then we will understand something of the true nature of marriage and where uh, divorce uh, fits into it. Uh, Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. He says, yeah, there is provision for divorce in God's law. There's a place where it's permitted. But the Pharisees, did you notice, they call it a command. Why did Moses command? But Jesus says, no, it's a concession. It's not a command. It's a permission, but it's not God's intention. He says it's a concession because uh, people are hard-hearted. Now, it's not that we're hard-hearted towards each other uh, and just that divorce happens to be evidence of that. No, the problem is that all of us equally are hard-hearted towards God. That word there is the word that gets used of Pharaoh when he refuses to listen to God. We are hard-hearted towards God and disobedient hearts wreck relationships across the board, not just marriages, but including marriages. Disobedient hearts towards God bring sin into our world. And so God gives a concession to a sinful world. Uh, You may divorce in the case of sexual immorality. But that's not the goal. That's not what a marriage is about, fundamentally. Uh, But there is this concession, verse 9. Why is it that sexual immorality is the condition that allows divorce and not something else? Uh, Why does Jesus uh, hone in on that? Well, it's because what he's already said about the nature of marriage, that it is a one flesh union. And so uh, joining sexually to someone else uh, breaks that bond uh, in a way that other things don't. Uh, The covenant promises of marriage are broken at that point. And Jesus' teaching recognises that sexual immorality, the breaking of that bond in particular, uh, can make a marriage too uh, broken to fix. He's not commanding that every case of sexual immorality you must get divorced. No. The intention is to uh, maintain that bond, but it's a concession that sexual immorality may break that bond. Uh, And that's why uh, it's sexual unfaithfulness uh, that is the decisive factor. 
because of the nature of marriage as a one flesh union. It's not a one bank account union. That's not uh, the basis of marriage. If a spouse uh, loses all your money gambling, uh, then that is an awful break of trust. Uh, But it doesn't break that essential bond that is at the heart of marriage, that one flesh union in the way that sexual unfaithfulness does. Now, we need to pause at this uh, point um, because this teaching by Jesus, I think, is sometimes misused. uh, Misused to put pressure on men and women to stay in uh, marriages which are abusive in other ways. It might not involve sexual immorality and so uh, you might not uh, read this and think, oh, divorce is permissible, but therefore um, I have to stay in this marriage even though it's abusive. Um, But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Um, Jesus isn't endorsing abusive marriages. Uh, No, what we need to recognise is that uh, it might be right for a married couple to separate uh, for a time for the sake of their one flesh union. It doesn't serve the marriage. It doesn't serve uh, the abused or the abuser to let sin and abuse flourish within a marriage. And as a church, we need to uh, love and support and listen to uh, people in those kind of relationships. Uh, There's heaps more that we need to say about a topic like that. But that's not really Jesus' focus here. That's just a way that some people misuse this verse. The thing that Jesus is focused on is the taking down of easy divorce. This attitude in our culture uh, that I'll get married, but it's all right because, you know, Divorce is always the back door if it doesn't work out. And he says, no, you may divorce in the case of sexual immorality, but you may not divorce for other reasons. Not for burnt toast, not for annoying habits, not for loss of looks, not for lack of attention. In fact, Jesus says just an alien word to us, something we wouldn't come up with ourselves. He says, if you divorce for any other reason and then marry someone else. That's the same as adultery there in verse 9. He says that because uh, you're not with the person you ought to be with. Now again, it's, it's a hard verse and it's worth thinking through because it is a troubling thought. Does that mean that if someone uh, has divorced and remarried, that they're in this constant state of adultery somehow, that they're still married to the first person uh, somehow? Well, no, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus recognises that marriages can end. It's just that it shouldn't happen. God's goal is that it doesn't. But he's not advocating that you get a second divorce to fix the first one. He's not saying that the second marriage shouldn't be honoured in any way. What he's saying is that act of divorce and remarriage, except in the case of sexual immorality, is a sin. And that's a hard word for many of us to receive. But we need to note who we're receiving it from. From Jesus. That is sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin. Not at all. If that has uh, happened to someone you know, maybe your parents, uh, friends, uh, maybe for you, uh, you've been through that, uh, then Jesus says that is sin, but forgiving sin is what he is all about. 
This is what Jesus is all about. And to be a Christian is to be someone who recognises their need for forgiveness, recognises their sin in myriad ways and runs to Jesus. Because we need to remember that Jesus here is talking to Pharisees who want to trap him. And so he tells it to them straight. He gives them the truth. Don't divorce. It's not God's intention. But to sinners, he gives sinners grace when he meets them, doesn't he? When he meets the woman by the well and she's been married five times and the sixth man uh, who she's living with isn't, isn't even her husband, he offers her living water. He invites her to trust him. Sexual immorality is not the unforgivable sin. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Jesus is the one to run to. There's an old hymn with this line. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Okay, so where have we been? Uh, Let's do a recap. Jesus says God's plan for marriage is a lifelong one flesh union between a man and a woman. He says divorce is permitted as a concession where the marriage bond is broken through sexual immorality. And he says divorce and remarriage, except in the case of sexual immorality, is equivalent to adultery. It's an alien word, right? Uh, Outside of our culture's expectations... Uh, One in three Australian marriages end in divorce. Uh, We're voting on same-sex marriage. Left to ourselves, we wouldn't come up with this. It's alien to our culture. But you know the crazy thing? It was alien to Jesus' culture. Have a look at the disciples' reaction there in verse 10. The disciples say to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. the, the disciples are shocked, right? What, what is going on? They had a culture of easy divorce for the man. Uh, at least, you know, any reason they wanted, they could send their wife away. And the disciples are shocked. That, that seems completely different to what Jesus is saying. And if you feel like the disciples, if you feel kind of the shock of how serious that is... Uh, and think, maybe it is better not to get married, then you've got it, right? It's a serious business. The Anglican Marriage Service says this, It is not by any to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. That being the case, maybe it's better to never get married. Just stay single. And Jesus has an alien word on that topic as well. Deliberate singleness. Singleness was such a strange idea in the first century that just in order to talk about it, Jesus has to talk in terms of eunuchs. So a little bit of eunuch talk here at Uni Church. Um, we're going to have a little explanation. Um, so here goes. A eunuch was a male slave who had been castrated in order to perform a particular function. Uh, Normally, to make them reliable servants uh, in the royal court, uh, as treasury guards or uh, servants' attendants to the queen. Uh, 
because, as a eunuch, they weren't a threat to create their own dynasty. And uh, they couldn't easily be, be swayed. They had no family ties. They had no connections. No one could influence them. And it was a terrible practice. Just, you know, just think about it. It wasn't permitted by the Old Testament law. Uh, this terrible practice that cut people off from society. But it was common enough. Um, and just staying single in a kind of normal way, that wasn't common at all. And so when, Je- when the disciples talk about not being married, uh, Jesus talks about eunuchs. They were the obvious single celibate people in their culture. But Jesus adds something alien. That singleness is a gift. That singleness is a gift. Read with me from verse 11. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, this idea that you might uh, remain single. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The one who can accept this should accept it. Uh, Eunuchs were, were, were sad, unfortunate people. They were to be pitied. Uh, no family, no connections. Uh, but here it is, it's a gift. It's a gift, something given to be single and celibate. Something given and something chosen. Did you see that? Uh, that some choose to live like eunuchs. Why on earth would you choose that life in that culture? It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus says there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So we're saying that the kingdom of heaven brings such a radical set of values that you might choose singleness on purpose uh, for the sake of the kingdom. Why is that? Uh, What does that mean? It could be that you choose singleness for devotion to the kingdom. Some might uh, choose to stay single in order to live a life of uh, wholehearted devotion to the Lord uh, as a witness to the fact that Jesus is enough. And in fact, uh, to be single means uh, you could uh, focus time and energy on growing in Christ, knowing him more deeply. Uh, devotion to the kingdom. Or they might uh, stay single in order to avoid uh, immorality. That's uh, certainly the case for Christians who experience same-sex attraction. Uh, some choose singleness in order to be devoted to the kingdom uh, rather than pursue sexual desires outside of God's purposes. So, for example, uh, the author of this book, this book is a little book called Is God Anti-Gay? The author Sam Albury is someone who speaks publicly about his choice to remain single for this reason. Uh, Here's what he has to say in this book. He says... Through it all, as someone who lives with homosexuality, I have found biblical Christianity to be a wonderful source of comfort and joy. God's word to me on this issue at times feels confusing and difficult, but it is nevertheless deeply and profoundly good. The gospel of Jesus is wonderful news for someone who experiences same-sex attraction. Devotion to his king. Uh, 
devotion to the kingdom leads him to joyfully choose singleness. Uh, It could be that you choose singleness for the growth of the kingdom. John Stott, uh, another Englishman like Sam Albury, uh, John Stott was rector of All Souls Church in London and he had an incredible ministry as a Christian uh, leader, uh, travelling the world, preaching, writing commentaries. This is his uh, commentary on Galatians, uh, John Stott. Uh, He didn't aim to stay single his entire life, um, but he came to feel that's what God was uh, calling him to do. And here's what he says about it. He says, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why. I could never have travelled or written as extensively as I have done if I had had the responsibilities of a wife and family. John Stott died at uh, 90, single his entire life, and uh, he basically wrote uh, this semester's hub studies uh, from the other side of the world. Uh, that's how profound his influence has been uh, across the world um, and even to this day uh, after his death. Can you see how alien this word is? This idea that you might stay single your entire life, joyfully uh, growing in your knowledge of the Lord, serving him, that that might be enough. Uh, can you see how strange that is to our culture that is just saturated with sex and relationships uh, where you know you go to the movies and uh, the movies it's the it's the sexual relationship that provides the completion of the relationship story arc Uh, that's when you know that you know they're together and the movie moves on to its kind of action-based conclusion that's that's the story that our culture tells us but Jesus says no A relationship doesn't define you. Sexual experience uh, doesn't uh, define what it means to be human. The kingdom has a different set of values. Devotion to Christ, holiness, spreading the knowledge of God, those things are way more important. The kingdom is far more valuable than all of the other stuff. Now, I'm married. It's not that... Uh, being married is uh, sinful, uh, somehow less uh, godly. And it's not that singleness is for everyone. But Jesus says, the one able to receive this, let him receive it. It's a gift. And if God gives you the, the resources uh, to remain uh, single, uh, then you're to receive it with joy. And you should trust Jesus on this. Uh, because Jesus was single, right? When the Son of God takes human flesh, uh, he lives a life of faithful obedience, a life of fullness, the, the most truly human life there is, and he does so single, unmarried, never having sex. Jesus gives us an alien word, something we wouldn't come up with, about marriage and divorce, about singleness. And I think, really, it leaves us with as many applications as there are individuals in this room. How will this play out in your life? Uh, Will you choose singleness for the sake of the gospel? Will it be given to you? How will you approach marriage? 
Uh, if you have particular questions, I'd love to chat with you afterwards um, because your own circumstances and your family history and, and all of that stuff uh, will feed into uh, how you respond to what Jesus is saying here. But as a church, I think it leaves us with two big questions, uh, kind of open-ended questions, really, uh, which would be great to talk further about. One, will we honour marriages the way that Jesus teaches here? And two, will we honour singleness the way Jesus teaches here? Because Jesus' teaching on marriage is hard, uh, but it's also good. It's exactly what we want our marriages to be at our finest moments, when we say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. We are endorsing Jesus' view of marriage. It's hard, but it's good. And as a church family, we need to support those amongst us who are married, uh, those who've been married for a long time, uh, those who are newly married. Uh, Union Church has a particular uh, place to support and get around uh, those people who are uh, young and married. Uh, will we honour marriages the way Jesus teaches here? And will we honour singleness the way Jesus teaches here? Jesus' teaching on singleness uh, is hard as well, hard to uh, receive in our culture, but it's also good. It tells us uh, that being married or having sex doesn't define us, that we have value and worth as sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. Will we as a church honour marriage and singleness the way Jesus teaches us here?